Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You know, I remember having a conversation in college with, especially when I was in my younger 20s, where people have said things like, yeah, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to figure out who I am. And, and within that context, I have seen people go away to a new city, go away to school, or go away to get a job to find themselves. Because I have seen many people measure their identity, measure who they are by what they do, where they live, or how they live. You guys seen that? It's almost as if their identity is attached to their business cards and the letters before or after. And for some people, if it's not letters on the business card, it's the other letters of the Mrs. or, you know, something to find an identity based on circumstances. In the prior weeks, we've looked at the subject of Father Heart of God and our identity that our identity comes from the finished work of Jesus. It's not what we do, but what he has done, right? What Christ has done. Because of his payment on the cross, he has given us his identity, that we are children of God, God's heir and co-heirs with Christ. I mean, there is no greater identity than the identity as his children. There's no greater identity. But it's interesting, though. Because even for us who proclaim to be believers, born again, baptized, I mean, we can take the entire identity and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and proclaim that. Yet, when it comes to, yeah, that is the good news of Jesus. But we, ha- we don't see the, that truth being lived out. Meaning, they know it's truth here, but hasn't fully come down eight inches to the heart. They know it here, it's good news, but it's not that good. Because we see the response of individuals. They say, gospel is good, but the way we have seen people run after certain job titles, to work in certain companies to get to certain names, prestige, to live in a certain zip code, supersedes everything else, what they say about believing in Jesus Christ. And when I'm pointing, I'm pointing at the cross here. So whenever I'm doing this, I'm pointing at the cross of Jesus Christ. We see the value system. We, I, I say all of that to say, is it possible? And I say we, as believers... Christians and as children of God know the truth but still live as fatherless or living as orphans in this world with what we call orphan spirit. Is it possible? I think it is. There are some symptoms as to why. And what I would like to look with us tonight is why, what happened. And how can we stop it? How can we kick it out of the church? 
because it exists in the church. It exists in the world, yes, that's very prevalent. But it exists in our church, and how do we kick it out? So that's the objective. So let's first recognize uh, the orphan spirit, the fatherless symptoms, and how it first got started. Okay? Now, I'm going to interchangeably say orphan spirit or fatherless spirit. It, it's those who think that they are fatherless or acting as if they are fatherless. Okay. If you remember the fall, and I briefly talked about this in, in prior weeks, in Genesis chapter 3, we're leading up to from the very beginning of Genesis and God's creation, God the Father, and I say Father because he, if you understand and study Genesis, he was being a father. Out of love, he created for love. There is no other reason. If you look at worship, service, all those other things, if you really think about it, and I welcome you to talk to me about it, it doesn't make sense. Biblically, theologically, God made everything for sake of his children, son, and daughter to inherit the kingdom that he has made. Garden of Eden, the whole world, and everything in it for them to rule. It's an inheritance language. It's a love language. Okay? What happened? They sin. What happened? They bought the lie of the serpent who was the devil. The pitch was you can be like God. That was the deception. But they were already like God. The Eve, or not the Eve, Eve bought the lie, ate of the fruit. Get this, Adam was with her and didn't resist. So he knew. Meaning, the fact that he didn't resist means he bought the lie too. They shared in that fruit of disobedience. And do you remember what happened immediately after? They hid. They, they sowed fig leaves and covered themselves because they realized they were naked. And they hid. First of all, I'd like to know where they get the strength. I don't know. But look at Genesis 8, 3, 8. And this is immediately after they ate. Their eyes were open. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? They heard God coming. Now, the scripture says the cool of the day. Bad translation. I've done a greater teaching on this before. But that cool of the day is wind. This is uh, God's appearance in his wind and spirit. This is storm theophany, theological term. But God comes, you hear the rustling of the, the wind, of the trees, and the children immediately hid because they were afraid. Why did they run? Why did they hide? Have you ever tried to hide from your parents when you did something stupid? I have. It's, it's a very natural human response. When we do something disobedient of what our parents have already told us, we're afraid to get in trouble. And when we're afraid of getting in trouble, we hide 
or blame others. Self-preservation. This is a very humanistic response. So this should not be a surprise. But they heard the Father God coming into the garden in his spirit. They hid. And I love that he asked the question, where are you? As if he didn't know. Why does God ask question when he already knows the answer? God is a father who cares and allows us to be involved in a relationship. When he asks a question, especially in the present tense, where are you? Even though the kids were not present, he was. He did not depart from them an angry father. He never left them. He said, where are you? Because they departed. They hid. There, the separation from the father was on the part of the children, not from the father. You guys understand that? In shame, they hid. In shame, they covered themselves. And what is shame? It is when you know you fall short, you are embarrassed. It is an emotional response that comes from our consciousness that says, I've messed up. I'm ashamed. I cover up. I hide. And when there is shame, we detach ourselves from our creator, from our God. Because how many times have you guys said, have you heard someone say, man, if I go to church, man, you better watch out because the lightning's going to strike me down. Because people say, I have done where I've been, what I've done. Screwed up so bad, if I come to church, God's going to strike me because he's mad at me. That's the belief of the world. It's God who says, where are you? Meaning, even when you're not present, he is. He's a God of the present tense. I am. His being is that he is present with us. And he's trying to get us involved with the question. We have to own it. But they try to run. Kids hide. But the father asked, where are you? Orphan spirit is hiding because of the shame and hiding from the father because we don't want to be struck down. That's the misconception. Yeah, I remember hearing a story of a little kid who had show and tell in school. And he wanted to brag to his friends about this watch that his father had. The watch that his father had given him, the watch that was given to him from the grandfather, and it was a generation, and the boy could not wait to get that watch himself. And it was such a great story that he wanted to tell the whole class about this watch, and the father said, no, you can't take it for show and tell. The boy thought, he'll never know. So he took the watch, took it to show and tell. And of course, the other kids were, wow, that is a cool watch. Let me see it, let me see it. And sure enough, the watch gets dropped, the crystal breaks. And the boy's immediate response is, dad's going to kill me. He immediately felt detached from the father. The father didn't even know about it. 
Yet his emotional response was, he's going to kill me. I'm dead. And the boy ran off. That's how we respond. Whether we show it or not, that's how we respond when we goof up. But the truth of the matter is, the father never stopped loving the son no matter the watch. How much greater is a son than a merchandise or even a story or a heritage? The son is the heritage. And the, the father will search out the son and say, son, don't worry. It can be fixed. Everything can be fixed. And my love has never left. That's the love of the father. The relationship God the father has with his children did not break because God was angry. It was the response of the children running away from the father. So I want you to consider, if you, I'm assuming a lot of things here, but I'm assuming everybody heard the story in Genesis. Genesis is, the word Genesis means beginning. The whole book of Genesis is how God created and how the world has become what it is to, to present day. But if you read from Genesis creation account all the way to uh, Genesis 5, which is like genealogies of God had Adam in his own image, and then Adam had uh, Seth in his own The language is God's the father who had a son, and the son had his generation, and each generation after. But what's interesting about Genesis' account is that each generation after just became worse and worse. They became more corrupt, more evil. So much that God felt like he needed to start afresh, start afresh. But it gets to Genesis chapter 11 where we have the story of a Tower of Babel. You guys remember that story? In the beginning, everybody spoke all one language. Everybody was all unified. But then this one particular group decided as they were migrating and around the area of what modern-day Babylon or Turkey, um, they make it to say, hey, let's build a tower for ourselves, okay? Reach into the heavens and make a name for ourselves. Let me just read that for you. Genesis 11.3, uh, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. I want you to get the motivation of what this group of people decided to do. They said, we're going to build a tower. We're going to build a city. What is the motivation? To make a name for ourselves. To make a name for ourselves. The word for name is Shem, where we get our identity name. It's Jimmy, I can call you by your name because you know who I'm talking to. It, it, it identifies who we are, but the word name can also, Shem can also mean brand or branding. Same word. Meaning, when I talk about Apple brand, immediately you think quality. Yeah, they charge a little bit more than others. But there is quality associated with the brand. You with me? <laughs> oh, we're some debating here going. Okay. 
But there is an idea behind the brand that immediately we used to think the creator, right, the Max, technology, not the fruit. Because there's a brand attached, right? The brand here is that these people said, let's make a brand for ourselves. Where we build such a tower that reaches to the heaven, that we build such a great city, that when people see us, they will know the brand. We will be like God's. We will be known throughout the world for our brand achievement. There's nothing wrong with having ambition to achieve greatness. But in this part of Genesis, they were trying to brand themselves, make an identity of themselves by their works, by their accomplishments, by what they do. Name is an interesting thing because not everybody has the authority to name. I can't name Sarah. I have no authority in that area. Parents have the authority to name the children because they have the authority. Creators, inventors, um, owners of products have the authority to name things and call it what it is because they have the authority. Adam had, was given the authority to name the animals because he had the authority. And as children, parents have authority over the children to give them identity. Our identity comes from our parents who have the authority. But what happens when the children want to make an identity apart from the parents? Different from what was given. It's saying, I'm going to rebrand myself. I'm going to be known for something else of the world by what I do, where I live. I remember a time when I tried to rebrand myself when I was younger, in my 20s. It's always in the 20s. Not saying anything bad about the 20s. I, I had a lot of fun in the 20s, but I'm not say, what I'm saying is, there was a time that I did not know myself because I did not know Jesus at that time. Now, that's just my confession. I became a Christian and born again very late in life. So I, I, there was a lot of things I just did not know. But I remember what was on my business card was very important. Man, I worked my way up to get into a well-established brokerage firm. So I can get the certain investment executive title on the business card. And I worked and to get licensing so I could add more acronyms on my business card. This is rebranding yourself. You can have the name, but it's all those little extra letters. That's what I was aiming for. And then what happened? Because I wanted people to see who I was, what I am, my accomplishments were rebranding, identity by what I do. It's interesting that the Genesis is the beginning. The story begins with the father, 
his motivation to blessing them, loving them, to walk with them. And it was until sin entered, but then all of a sudden, people are trying to rebrand themselves. They became fatherless because they forgot about the father. They became fatherless because of the shame, and they ran away from the father and tried to make an identity for themselves. It's because they forgot who they were by forgetting where they come from because they didn't even know the father. It only takes one generation to forget the father. It doesn't take long. You add multiple generations, the father who failed to talk about his father. I, I don't know if any of you guys have really talked about your grandfather or your great-grandfather. If it was never told to you, after a generation passes away, how would you know? The story ends at the, at the plot of one generation stopped telling about their father or their grandfather, and you become fatherless. It's because they forgot where they come from. Like the prodigal son, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, the younger son went off looking for independence. I'm thinking rebranding him for himself, his own identity. But it wasn't until he came to his senses and realized where he came from, right? He was so hungry. He was so poor. He was in the lowest of the low. Then he remembered, in my father's house, even the servants were well fed. He, he came to senses of, oh, what I had, where I come from, who my father is based on the circumstances that he had to compare. And then he goes, oh. Uh, now I will go back home. I will repent before the Father and ask to be considered a servant. Meaning, I will position myself less than my own identity because I don't deserve that because I'm ashamed. To rebrand myself as a servant. That's the fatherless spirit. Too many people have come to the Father God with the same attitude. Coming to church with the same attitude. I'll be honest. There were many times I've come to church. Lord, I'm so unworthy to be called your son. Consider me your servant. I will serve you, Lord. Who am I to consider myself your son? No, not where I've been been, what I've done, the detestable things I, I, I don't deserve to be your son. I would be your servant. Any of you guys ever done that? Shame keeps us from living the identity of who we are, as Christ has declared, has paid for. We settle for something less. That's the orphan spirit. That's the shame that forces us to hide and receive less than what God wants to give to us. But we try in our own way to, to rather to choose to be God's servant than accept his identity. That we are sons and daughters. Heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We come to church with an orphan spirit. We praise God, do all these things, 
believe. That's the good news. But we're orphans because we settle for something far less than what God desires to give. But listen. Listen to Romans 8.15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. Let me read that again. Because whatever shame that we come to church with, whatever embarrassment that keeps us, Lord, treat me as a slave, not as your son. Whatever that you have said to yourself, here's what he says. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship by him we cry, Abba, Father. You sin, don't be afraid. He paid for that sin on that cross once and for all. You messed up, it's okay. He paid for it. It's done. It's, don't beat yourself up for something that he has already paid for. Don't trade your identity for something far less than what has been given to you. It makes no sense for us to do that, but we do that in the church. Jesus paid with his blood. He's not mad at you, but madly in love with you. I love Caleb saying that. If you go to the Tampa campus, they have signs all over that says, God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And I have to say that multiple times because we have to hear it multiple times. Because as soon as somebody stops saying that, we will forget. And we trade our truth for a lie. We trade our identity for something far less than what has been given. You know, um, Lion King is one of my favorite movies. Anybody not seen The Lion King? I know we, everybody have seen The Lion King? Thank you. Praise God. That's kind of my answer to prayer. (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, when we show an illustration or something and somebody didn't watch it, it's like, they miss out. But you got to know. You got to know the background. So I know you guys probably know, but allow me to re- remind you some of the plot of the Lion King. Mufasa was the great lion king of the kingdom, and everybody loved him. It was great. And his son, the baby, Simba, is heir to the throne. Scar, his, his uncle, or the king's brother, and he was evil, and he wanted to steal the kingdom. So what does he do? He manipulates the situation where Mufasa gets killed by the stampede in trying to save his baby or little boy son, uh, Simba. And then he does something even worse. He manipulates and shames the baby Simba to say, what have you done? You guys remember that scene? What have you done? And Simba, losing his father, is distraught. Now he thinks it's his own fault. And he's manipulated to run away. That's the best thing. Run away. So this heir to the throne runs off and makes a life for himself. I mean, he becomes a friend to a boar and I think meerkat, some whatever rat thing he, it is, uh, singing Hakuna Matata and this philosophy in life, like crazy thing. The, the 
animals that should be his prey, food, becomes his friend and spiritual advisors. Right? And he's tricked into thinking his food is what the boars eat, bugs. He is, and he thinks, this is what I'm supposed to eat? Hakuna Matara. You know, life has no worry. And and they're just going through until one day. So baby Simba grows up to be kind of a man, but he has lost himself. He has lost his identity. He's away from the kingdom, and all of a sudden the monkey priest shows up. You guys remember that? All right. So this is where we're at. So let's see if we can get this played. Oh, sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. Bye. Hey, wait. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. (laughs) He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. Remember. 
you guys see parallel of the biblical truth in that? You know, in every great story, the hero learns to overcome life's challenges. Every book, every great story, each chapter, they learn to overcome small challenges that leads to the bigger challenges. Ultimately, it leads to a climax of the ultimate challenge. And when the hero overcomes that challenge, everything else works out in place. The, the life, the story, everything. The protagonist, the, the hero of the story, learns to overcome. In this story, it's Simba's identity. By remembering who his father is. By remembering who he is. That the spirit of his father lives in him. That he is made in his image. His identity. He is far more than what he has become. You are far more than what you have become, who you think you are. You got to know your identity as the identity that was given to you, that was birthright to you by our God, our Christ, our Lord. We settle for far less because we have forgotten our Father. Simba tried to coast life after he lost his father. In that orphan spirit, in that shame, he settled for something far less than who he was meant to be. Who he was. And he forgot who he was by forgetting who his father was. And we say, but I am not who I used to be. That's the orphan spirit. I am insignificant. I am weak. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good. Whatever excuses that or criticism or lies that we have heard, we cannot let those things dictate our identity because it doesn't. Because our identity is not formed in what we do or fail to do. It is identity has been given by the Father of who you are born into. God's plan for you. It's when the son realized that Father lives in him. That's a cartoon. But in truth, it's the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit of the living God is promised and is given to his people, his sons and daughters, to live out our identity as sons and daughters. And many people settle for what we have become rather than what we have been created for. And rather than taking our positions as sons and daughters of the living God, children of God, heirs and co-heirs with Christ, we settle for what we accomplish on this earth, what we have become, which is far less than what he has placed for you. And I, I, I recognize, because I do it a lot, <laughs> Um, sometimes we don't feel that great. Sometimes we don't feel strong enough or able or smart enough. I feel like that all the time with my preaching. And I'm just being honest. 
I, in those days when I feel like that, and these are emotions, we, we go up and down in our emotions, I go back to God, you called me. You're the one who sent me. I didn't volunteer for this. <laughs> oh, there are easier things to do in life than sometimes standing before you or before the church. But I remember who I am because of who my father is. We don't need to try to perform to earn our identity. And I know some of us fall into that trap of trying to prove our value by what we do. We're trying to do stuff for God, for the church. But let me say it another way. Imagine a billionaire prince or princess who is everything. Identity, prestige, status. And the prince one day says, hey, I want to please my king. So he grabs a hammer and goes to the slums and starts fixing hinges and, you know, blesses the poor. So few people might get the benefit, but did his identity get added value? Not for grabbing a hammer, serving the poor. I mean, those are good things. But when you're at a certain level, you're expected of a certain level status, right? If you're a billionaire, come on. You can hire the city to raise up. But why do we sometimes do the little tedious things to add to our value? It doesn't make sense. There's a certain level that we're called up to. What I'm saying is, you guys are called from far higher and greater things than what you think that you are. It's not the work that will make you or break you. Our value and our worth comes from the greatest and the highest worth that comes from the highest God. And he gave that as grace. Not because we earned it, because what his son did on that cross, he paid for it with his own blood to say, I just give it to you if you believe. I adopt you. If you accept me, you're no longer fatherless. I give you my love. I am your father. You're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. There is nothing greater than that. We either know this or don't know this. We either know this or forget this. But too often we forget this. How do you remember what God has done for you? How do you remember your identity? Sometimes it's saying it over and over. Sometimes it's giving your testimony to other people so that they know what God has done for you and who you are. I have been in situations where there were times I, I have taken seasons off from ministry or even before ministry. But whenever somebody had asked me questions of, like, why are you doing that? I start sharing my testimony. How God called me. How God showed miracles, how God saved me from what I used to be and what I used to do. I mean, like crazy, stupid things that where I came from, whenever I share the testimony of who I was, it's like the Spirit of God comes and I remember. Every time I told my testimony, God's Spirit is upon me and I f now, then I remember, oh, this is why I do what, the, what I do. 
You got to tell your testimony. You got to tell your story to other people. It's not just the evangelism tool. You got to remember your identity by saying it over and over and over. Because we will forget. <laughs> you know, I have been wrestling whether to I do this for you or not. Whew. But I have a testimony. I wrote my testimony in such a way this week, or this past week. And I just want to share my testimony. So bear with me. This is not a performance. This is my testimony. All right? Just, just bear with me. And I humbly come sharing this. Just saying. Little kid I was, lived in the hood called the trailer park. They called me chink, kung fu fighter, ignorant fools, I'm not even Chinese. I tried to fit in, this was a new life, so I did stuff, stupid stuff. But I knew this ain't life, there's got to be something more. To fit in, to get the hot dates, find myself in all the wrong places. But I was in the trailer park. Where poor was my dark. Growing up, knew my name. In that place of nothingness and hopelessness, I just knew I was meant for something more because I knew I didn't belong there. All my life, I searched for my identity, wanting to know the more I was longing for, the more than this life had to offer. I made my plans, studied real hard to get the job with a suit and tie. Made my plans, worked real hard, but all I had were bottles and a big tap. In that place of nothingness and hopelessness, I just knew there had to be more. I was meant for something more because I knew I didn't belong there. Then one day, it all changed. God searched me out and called me out. From the dark to the light, he called me in to the new life. What I got was a new identity from the trailer to his throne room. He called me out for something more, to be son, to live for more. Old has gone, the new has come. I am a new man, but there is something more. I'm a changed man. But why do I feel the need to prove my new identity? Am I a pauper, trailer park trash? Why do I feel I need to prove? I am a prince, cause who my daddy is. No need to prove my new identity. Father called me out to be a lot more, to be his prince, God's own son. No longer a pauper from the old trailer park. Father called me out to be a lot more, to be like him all the more. Old has gone, new has come. I am a prince, God's own son. Peace. Yeah. 
That was a <laughs> that was a, a, a an assignment that I had to fulfill, and God. Well, it was one of those, not necessarily a bucket list, but it was like I always wanted to be a rapping preacher. <laughs> and I don't even like rap, but I don't know why. So it was one of those things that, man, it, whenever God took me out of my comfort zone, he allowed me to realize the far more that I have not experienced. You guys understand that? you got to position yourself to do things that you've never done, and that's when you get to realize what you're made for. That goes far beyond what you even expected. So that was my testimony. I say that so that you can tell your story. You tell your testimony. You remember who you are. You remember what God has done for you. Tell your testimony and make it a habit over and over. Not in a rap form like this, maybe, but, I mean, that's, if that's your thing. But I'm just saying, God gets the glory. We remember who we are. And when we remember who we are because of who he is, whose we are, we live in that victory of sonship, daughtership. Amen? Amen. Uh, prayer team, will you come up? I want to welcome you guys. If you don't know the Father, come receive. Ask the questions. They can answer your question. If you need, something's happening, something's broken, so you have some shame that's keeping you from the deeper relationship with the Father, come receive. Let's just wash that shame off of you. It does not belong. God can wash you. And do something far deeper and greater in your life if you just let him. Okay? Jeremiah 29, 11, God declares, For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's our Father's heart for you. You have to receive his plans. You just have to say yes. Father, thank you. We receive your promises, your plans, your identity. We just say yes to you, Jesus, because of who you are. You are trustworthy, and you gave it all. And we can trust. We can trust in you. There is none greater, none better. Thank you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, and I pray for, Lord, fatherless, orphan spirit be gone in Jesus' name. I pray for your invasion of your truth to be the cleansing element that washes out all lies of the enemy. That we can fully live our identity as your sons and your daughters. I pray for freedom, Lord. I pray for the lost to be found, for the found to be free for your peace to reign. Any of us who are not found, Lord, I pray for that found, for the gospel truth to set them free. If any are not free, Lord, I pray for such freedom right now in Jesus' name. And I pray for your peace, Lord. In any areas of our life where uh, there is brokenness, I pray for your shalom that bring about restorations and healing. Lord, come, come. 
restore your people. We say yes to you, Lord. Yes to you, Lord. We pray all these things. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.